This is Without Compromise, a show that explores what happens when you won't settle for anything less than your crazy ideas. We'll talk to athletes, founders, adventurers, and entrepreneurs of all kinds about living without compromise. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Welcome to the show. We're programmed for survival, so our instinct is to give up on these situations, to move away from them. I thought if I didn't sign up for that race, that I was just going to disappear. It doesn't have to be these big, huge things that everyone thinks you need to do to make a difference. Hey folks, today we are talking to Colin McCabe, one of the co-founders at Chopped Creative Salad. We're going to hear about this story, and we thought it was a really good story to tell for the new year because it was two friends, came up with this wild idea and thought, you know what, could that work? And they just started pursuing it and learning so much along the way, as we're going to hear. And obviously, this time of year, a lot of people are doing new things, and maybe you're unsure. Maybe you don't know if if you got what it takes, and I hope this story provides you some inspiration. And if you are doing something new, and if you want to track your progress, we have a new track record on our app at Athletic Brewing where you can track your dry days for this month of January. And it's great for keeping track of whatever commitment you've made to the month, but also you can keep track of other stuff on that too. Maybe it's taking a step forward with this business idea or with your health or with trying a new skill. So go download our Athletic Brewing app or check out the show notes and you can see a link to the track record. And be sure to swing by a chopped location where you'll be able to try one of their innovative and delicious salads. They've got nearly 100 locations across the East Coast. And you can now find Upside Dawn and our Run Wild IPA at most of those. All right, time to dive in. Colin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Let me apologize is first because i i don't know if it's because it's winter i think i sound pretty nasal and i i don't have a voice that's made for podcasts so <laughs> we'll see we'll, well see how it sounds later yeah it's better than a face made for podcasts <laughs> uh, which is what i got but uh no i was gonna apologize too i'm, I'm a little congested today as well and uh, yeah we're, we're experiencing a a, a Brutal winter day here in Florida. You know, I don't know. It's like sixty, maybe. So, you know, this is this is on the verge for us. So, how about you? Where are you coming from? I'm in New York City, uh, where I live. I'm, I'm not crying about your weather. It's <laughs> it's worse here for sure, but it's I all good. I, you know, athletic. A lot of us are based in the Northeast, and uh, I'm usually on the the better side of that discussion. You know, unless it's the middle of summer and then they got it. But most of the time I'm like, I'm very glad I'm down here right now because it looks rough. But and you, you're from New York, correct? I am born and raised, born and raised in New York City and can continue to live here, which makes, you know, I think some of the stuff we'll talk about time and nature a little bit harder for me, although that's the only place I want to be. But, you know, New York, New York is a specific animal. It's um a lot of exposure, a lot of amazing qualities to New York. But uh, certainly nature is something that you can miss if you don't look hard enough for it. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'll just ask you now, you know, what, what how do you experience nature? Because I'll say this, I've been surprised a lot this year. A lot of my new friends and people I've met who are just amazing outdoors people and amazing uh, appreciators and, and advocates for nature are based like in the city. And yeah. what, what is that? pipeline a discovery of nature for you and growing up well i would say that i think living in the city certainly gives you a greater appreciation for nature especially when you find it outside 
of, of the city itself. So, you know, every trip I take usually revolves around some kind of activity of being out in nature. So if it's a, you know, I kiteboard. So, you know, I'm looking for places where I can kiteboard. When I was really into Ironman and, and marathons, I was I was building trips around those often. Um, but on a day-to-day basis, I'm spending a lot of time in Central Park. I still run not as intensely as I used to. But, you know, if you're living in New York City you're and live where I am, you're, you're trying to get to Central Park. I just, uh, I just had a friend on my other podcast, and I, I can cut some of this, but he just paddled the Hudson from source. Like, I'm talking where you can't paddle it for days. It's, it's a hike along this little trickle of, of water. Uh, paddled it from source to the Statue of Liberty this summer, 400 miles. And he was talking about, you know, being within side of, of, of downtown and seeing whales breaching under like the George Washington Bridge and just talking about, I'm like, did you kind of learn nature's closer than you think? And he's like, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's right there. Like I'm watching like the world's, you know, financial center basically you know, taking place or waking up for the day and these whales breaching and blowing it, it was unbelievable. Definitely. I mean, that's a, that's a good point that nature is much closer than you think. Even here, you do not have to go far to find things like that at all. And then the other point is, you know, I, it takes more planning. I can't just get out, you know, go out my front door and find those kind of things. And the idea of planning an expedition like that or something closer to home is is really interesting be some good good press for for chopped do something like that <laughs> paddle around manhattan or something yeah, maybe uh, with, <laughs> chopped, uh, logo on it that's awesome so well, well tell us a little bit about founding the story because the more i learned about your story gosh the more parallels i saw with athletic which has always been just such a fascinating story to me also took place in 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 new york uh the, the initial kind of seeds of that, that idea. What, what was the idea with you and your co-founder? What was like the early conversations that took it from idea to start taking some sort of action? Yeah. So it was a long time ago now and, and we were in college and, you know, my best friend and co-founder, Tony Shore, and I started Chopped and, you know, the conversation was largely about, you know, and to go back in time at a time where, Kind of the food landscape in America was dominated by fast food. And the idea was we were both, you know, kids from New York City. We went to college in the University of Wisconsin in Madison, which in many ways meant we were really faced with, you know, the fast food landscape. What got you out there? You know, Ma- Madison was just a really popular school at the time. It's a different world now. So neither of my parents went to college. So I can't say I had a very um, strategic uh, look at where I was going to go to school, but Wisconsin was popular. It's a beautiful campus. I wanted a big American school. You know, New York City can feel, you know, it's it's beautiful in that it's very global and diverse. I, I just wanted to feel something that just felt more American and Wisconsin was it. So went there and really our options were fast food, especially on a budget and started this conversation about what we could do that was better, right? Better for you. I remember just to get something with some greens in it, we used to go to the salad bar at Pizza Hut, right? And we weren't healthy. 
by you know by any stretch of the imagination, but we still felt the need for something at least healthy-ish. And at the time, there were people specializing in certain things. There was, you know, somebody specializing in sandwiches. There were people specializing in burgers and pizza and 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 what have you. Even somebody in soup, which you didn't think was, you know, maybe a concept with legs. But nobody, and this was novel at the time, had taken the salad and really elevated it. Right? The salad was a a side dish, appetizer. Even you know, you, it wasn't a meal. That's right. At best, it was kind of lacked flavor and at worst it was inedible in a lot of people's minds and so we thought hey we could build a fast food concept around this and we could take the salad we could break it down into its component parts and we can really celebrate each ingredient and really do innovative creative things not only in the recipes of the salads but the dressings themselves and the sum total will be this really surprising exciting meal that people would want to eat and then feel better for having eaten it. And also, because we're from New York City, I think, you know, we we really were conscious of convenience and speed. And certainly that's something you need to do in New York because the rents are so high. So built this first resta- restaurant in 2001, which tried to achieve all of those things, right? And the idea was never to, to start in Wisconsin, even though you got the idea then. Knew we were going to go back to New York and we were we were going to do it here. Tony had ended up coming back to NYU uh, and finished college there. So we spent, you know, countless hours on the phone kind of working, working through it. And the idea, again, was, you know, because it was novel and because people didn't see salad as a main course so much that, you know, we were going to recruit people into salad eating by getting them in, them eating our salad and going, wow, you know, I didn't know a salad could taste so, so good. And afterwards, I feel great for having eaten it. And I can make this a part of my daily life. You know, how do you make healthy eating exciting for all tastes? You know, and when we opened our doors in 2001 here in Union Square, which is where our office still is, it's our spiritual home, we could tell right away that people really wanted what we were offering, mm. right? And, and people were really excited that a place like Chopped um, started. And it was mainly women. For us, you know, we knew that we needed to get guys to eat salads more. We had really big portions. And we've, we found that, you know, guys started coming in and they, were, and they, you know, they really were surprised. Like, wow, you know, I'm full. That was delicious. And, you know, again, I can make this part of my daily life. What did the what what were you wanting to do in school? You know, I know you said maybe not being the most strategic at the time with what you want to do. What 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 were you kind of envisioning? I probably wasn't opening, you know, a salad restaurant. I really had no idea, but I but I did always work in restaurants, right? And Got so okay. in high school, in college, I I was bussing tables, I was waiting tables in in kind of finer dining restaurants, and. There's one thing I really noticed working in New York City and and some of these, you know, higher end restaurants was that A, the model of the restaurant business didn't work in fine dining. You know, margins, margins in the restaurant business in total are razor thin, um, particularly so in, in fine dining. And what I saw was I saw owners who were really stressed out because of that fact. I saw the owners being so stressed out that they were treating their staff poorly. 
And then I saw the staff that was being treated poorly, treating the customers poorly. And there was kind of this cycle, this negative cycle. And so personally, I knew that I always wanted to go into the restaurant business, but I knew that that, that part of the restaurant world was broken when we, you know, which made kind of fast food, right. Again, seem a little bit more appetizing, but back then, you know, this is now called fast casual. And back then we just called it better fast food early days. So what did the people around you think? Did you have a lot of doubters, a lot of, I don't know about this. Oh, uh, I mean, there were some people would just laugh outright when we would tell them our plans. My, my parents were nervous. I, again, you know, we didn't know anything, right? And, and I'd studied Italian. Right back to your earlier question. I'm almost embarrassed to admit it. I studied Italian. In Wisconsin, of all places. It was exactly, in Wisconsin. But it was almost a necessity for me to get out of there, too, because I just like, hey, I enjoy this. I, I went to go see my, my, my counselor who was like, if you're getting out of here on time, you're going to have to start taking, you're going to have to study Italian because you've, you've done everything without kind of a strategy. Um, and Tony had studied English and Tony had worked in food uh, establishments, but nothing prepares you for opening up a restaurant anywhere. And, and, and you know, so in New York City had its own kind of, you know, peculiarities. But uh, we were learning, we were learning on the fly. We didn't have any business background. We were really fortunate in the sense that from the day we opened, we had really long lines and, and high sales can hide a lot of sins in terms of management skills. So it wasn't really until we opened up the second restaurant and were able to bring in and afford a real operations specialist, a guy named Mike LaPlaca, that we were able to kind of see that money go down to the bottom line. But it was, it was hairy. It was, we were you know, we loved it. We were in the restaurant 24 seven. We had cots in the basement, which we would use. And we were just, you know, we were figuring it out as we went along. True, true startup style and just learning on the fly. Like you said, I'm sure in some way the Italians come in handy, but yeah, I don't know if there's anything you could have taken as far as not at all. Okay. All right. Zero percent. Yeah. It's not like you're doing pasta or anything where it's at least oh. there's a connection <laughs> there's nothing yeah, maybe some a, dressing here and there that's italian that is too funny so i i mean in not long after that you started the business you started the company had long lines but within seven months there was maybe the biggest tragedy that ever hit new york city 9-11 yeah what was that like that i mean that's your first probably other than getting started and getting going is, is earth shattering potentially to, to you and to your psyche and just the way you approach, like what, what, what was that like? Yeah, it was, it was nine months after our open and it was, you know, shattering in all ways personally as, as, you know, as someone from New York city professionally, it was, you know, I, I'm not going to find the right word. I'm disorienting. You know, we yeah. were, we were still a business that was losing money, you know, mainly due to our inexperience. Um, and you can see an analog in kind of COVID when all of a sudden business just stops. 
I don't even remember all the kind of tricks and pleading with vendors and all the things we had to do to keep it afloat. But I do remember, you know, we, I walked out of my building, which was in the West Village and, you know, it was on 6th Avenue walking up uh, to our restaurant on 17th Street. As the said, the first plane had already hit, the second plane was hitting, and then I just ran to the restaurant. You know, knew things were really wrong, just to get to a phone no, before cell phones, to just call. You know, everybody I knew, just to you know check in on them. But you know, we Tony had this great idea that hey, we still have everybody in the restaurant. We've got a whole lot of food. Let's pack up all this food, and we brought it to St. Vincent's Hospital. And, you know, and, and that was that was a scene uh, in itself. And we just we just kind of waited and somehow figured out how to get through. Because, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this, most restaurants and, I, you know, especially in fine diners, but any restaurant company until it gets to size is lucky if it has two weeks of payroll in the bank. So to, to all of a sudden stop business is really just a death blow to a lot of restaurants you, you definitely saw that during covid and you know we, it was uh i don't i really don't know how we made it through it was it was it was dicey it was dicey for sure but you know we, we certainly at that time we weren't you know it was such a tragic time that we weren't really thinking about you know there was no woe is me there were bigger problems you know, since then, there's been the 2008 economic crisis, the pandemic, of course. What has that reflected some of the bigger challenges with uh, managing and growing Chopped over those years, over the, the last two decades? Or were there others more internally that, that the average person wouldn't realize were really, really challenging times? Maybe it was specifically to Chopped or, or, or overall for the restaurant industry. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the the three big things would be 9-11, the financial crisis, and then COVID. You just realize you have no idea what's going to happen. And by the way, and then there's day-to-day things where, you know, serving food to, to people out of multiple locations, you know, and then that number grows is is a very tricky operational thing. And it, and it leads to a sense of conservatism in running the business, right? For us, it's always been really important to be a profitable company. I think a lot of businesses kind of moved away from that in the past 10 years because, you know, that was kind of a growth at all costs, but we've never wanted to grow and sacrifice profitability. And and, and here you are. And and here we are. And our third, you know, I, I should mention so much of the story with Chopped is, you know, when Tony and I um, were opening up our third restaurant, you know, we realized that we were we were strong at at the things that really affected the customer directly: food, customer service, culture. But that there were certain business things that we needed help with. How do we take what you know is proving to be this amazing concept and and package it for the investment community? And and how do you run a business that is starting to get to some sort of scale? And and we partnered with a guy named Nick Marsh. He's the CEO today who's really helped us navigate, you know, through, through all of these things in a, you know, we, we take a lot of risks in food and things that the, you know, we think that the customer wants, but we don't really take too much risk in terms of, you know, how we're running this business. 
And so Nick has really been amazing kind of leading that. We're, we're, we're conscientious you know, stewards for our investors. And, and, you know, a lot of that is formed by going through some, some times in our history that has sunk a lot of companies. What, what is a lesson that you think still carries through to you from those early days, something that you maybe learned in those first few years that you're like, all right, either never again, or I will continue to always do this. The hardest, and I remember it today, the, the hardest thing that I ever did, I mean, I, maybe it's one of them, but it's really about the responsibility to the people who work at the company. You know, when I said that Tony and I didn't really know what we were doing in the very early days, right? Like, you know, I might be beating ourselves up a little too much, but we were hiring people kind of on the fly to get, you know, because we were really busy and, and we didn't have labor schedules. We didn't, you know, we, it was not a science for us. And I just remember we had, we had hired somebody that we didn't need to hire and he was an older gentleman and I had to let him go. And it was so, it was so pain. It wrecked, it wrecked me. And, uh, and so you realize, you know, especially with the people who, in the early days who worked at Chopped in 17th Street, many of whom are still with us today, right? That I, and we take real pride in that, is that you have responsibility, you know, these people that you're working with have other jobs, they're, you know, they're supporting their families, they're, they're, it's just very important. And if you have to realize that responsibility, and when you hire people, you have to do it really thoughtfully, um, because the goal for us, and, and Chopped, you know, we're proud of the fact that, you know, in our management team, we have a greater, uh, we have a tenure that's greater than 10 years. The guy was first washing dishes as a manager at one of our biggest restaurants. The guy was a cashier in our first restaurant, is running the entire New York City market. And so those, you know, that makes the company better. But more importantly, it's just a responsibility that we have. So you, you, have, to, you, you have to be thoughtful about that. Has, has that been tough to kind of, I almost feel like your philosophy, because, you know, when you look at like your CEO now, your the founders and, and a lot of the people involved, especially like you said, uh, higher up, it, it is folks that have been around with the company for a while. Have you had to almost pump the brakes a lot? I, I mean, I feel like y'all's approach is really, you know, grow for the long term and grow solidly. I'm sure that's been tempting to kind of, you know, not do from time to time. No, we always want to grow. And, you know, I think we have reasonably aggressive growth plans. I think, you know, we've only had to pump the brakes because of kind of external factors, COVID, you know, COVID being the most recent example of that. And so it's easier to pump the brakes if you're not bloated because, you you know, you just have to be ready for for anything. And uh, it's much harder when when you're bloated as an organization. In the early days, you, you saw this need, you saw that, you know, almost taking a risk that, all right, at, at some point, culture is going to catch up to this. Like people are going to realize they need more options than what's out there for, for convenient, healthier meals. Uh, and, and you've seen, I would say, culture shift in a lot of ways. Uh, what, what have you noticed in taste preferences or what the customer wants change over time. And what is that, what has that been dependent on? Have you seen it be gradual or very sudden or fluctuate? Like what, what have you noticed? I think one thing that's become increasingly important. Well, first is I think a lot more people 
over the past 22 years are far more mindful about what they're eating. That that's just a fact. Nothing nothing earth shattering there. But people become understandably so very interested in where their food is coming from um, and kind of on all levels. And so for us, you know, the founding ethos of Chopped has been, as I said, you know, to source the very best ingredients, to have transparency around where those ingredients come from. And importantly, because we say better tastes better, is to to find the very best ingredients. And one of the things that we do here is we're always on the search for people and products that are doing really interesting things in food. And so every 90 days, we have a a new set of uh, specials and we're always trying to find kind of artisans and founders that are doing great things. So for example, we had a ultimate hummus bowl last, you know, last go around and we partnered with Ithaca Hummus. We're using a harissa um, on one of our specials from New York Shook, which is, you know, started by this amazing founding team here in New York City. We had a tahini dressing for this round that was, you know, we were using a tahini from Seed and Mill, which this is organic tahini, again, started here in Brooklyn. Right now we're doing a partnership with Yellowbird Hot Sauce. So when when you really, you know, so much about our food ethos is about discovery. How do we how do we find these really interesting ingredients, right? And, you know, and that includes going to the farms where we're sourcing a lot of our ingredients and then folding that into the menu. But how are we doing that? And then telling the story of these founders and these farmers and kind of celebrating that through our menu. And we know that the end result is just the very best tasting salad you can get. And people want to know that now. You know, I think in the beginning it was maybe, you know, it was always been interesting to our customer, but now it's... People are like making decisions based on that. Now they, you know, they they demand to know that in many ways. But, you know, tastes change. So when we first opened up, you know, raw food was a big thing. We had a lot of people coming in who were just really excited that we're all about raw food. That's kind of moved more to... You know, veganism is a is a is a big one for people. Eating less meat, absolutely low carbohydrate diet is important to a lot of people. Has been to me at various times. So, taste change and one of the great things about Chopped is the ability to customize. It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter necessarily what your goals are. We can help you meet them through our food, right? Whether it's any of those things I just mentioned, like ultimate flexibility and and ability to customize. How do you approach introducing new things to your menu or, or, or adjusting even the way you do things uh, when it comes to recognizing what's a trend versus recognizing or what's trendy versus recognizing what's, what's a real, you know, significant, long lasting change in preferences? Yeah, we try to, you know, when we're introducing new things, we, we try to do things that before they're a trend. Right. I think part of what keeps our our menu kind of dynamic and interesting is we're introducing new things that, you know, people may not have heard of. There's probably been some things you've thought, oh, boy, I don't know about this, but I, I like it. But I don't know what, what, what's been one of those things that you were unsure, but people really, really loved. I mean, one, we did a kind of a Peruvian round, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of our, our menu is kind of the search for new flavors from around the world. And, you know, some of the things we, that we throw out there haven't 
haven't necessarily landed. Um, I think, Peru, you know, just this idea of a trip around Peru is maybe a little too specific for people. But but hey, that like that's that's the nature of what we do. Like, it's not always going to be uh, a home run. But, uh, you know, don't worry, in 90 days, something else will 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 come up. So, you know, I, I think, you know, we've found that heat and spice are things that people really like. I mean, I, Harissa is something that you've known about or Sriracha is something that you've known about. But, you know, I, I think we were very early on in incorporating that into our menu and kind of introducing people at scale to, you know, some things that are now very popular. What's your process with staying creative and staying on the leading edge a lot of these trends or, or trying to discover? Is it just coming from literally, you know, y'all's interests and y'all's curiosity? Is there a process to it? How, how have you kind of incorporated that consistently? It, there's a team here of people who, above all things, are extremely curious, right? And that includes me and and Tony and the food and beverage team that, again, are always on the search for new and interesting ingredients. And we are constantly, uh, we're constantly sampling those ingredients. And then assuming that we like them, then we're really looking at them in dressing form. Right? How do you incorporate some of these things into a dressing or and how do you incorporate it into a salad or a bowl or a grilled wrap and and do that? So there's a tremendous amount of trial and error, but it's something that is so it's been so systematized for us. So it, it, it is not work because to me, that's kind of the fun part of what we do. But as an organization, we know we are going to do this and we take it very seriously. And, you know, so I, I don't feel like we ever get too far away from that sense of creativity. You know, it's part of our name We're chops creative salad company. We are always trying to be the most creative. And you're, you're still, gosh, probably one of the best customers, right? I did chop for the week still. And, you know, I would eat five, but I'm, you know, I'm on the road a lot, but uh, yeah, I, I don't do it to audit our food. I do it because it's part of my life. Uh, it never gets old for me after 22 years. That's because I, again, as I said, you know, menu changes all the time. I can always customize. I, I have different health goals and, and I love our food. Here at Athletic, I, one of our, um, you go on our e-com platform and look at, you know, top customers, founder Bill Schufeld is, he's there. He, he's, our best he's our, he's our best customer we need a few more of him um and he talks about that very openly he goes I, I you know i built this for me you know this is what i wanted in the world and i just figured there's a lot of other people that that would want this too and it sounds like you've you know you and tony have done the same for for chopped um well tell us a little bit about uh and then we're going to jump into some rapid fire questions if you have time but i got a couple more questions i got time um you, you've alluded to it a few times just talking about kind of the nature of how y'all operate. What, what What's some of the keys you've learned to long lasting relationships, whether that be in business, but also in life? Like what have been some of the things that you're like, okay, we're, we're, this is, this is really important to, to people staying around and doing a good job for a long time. Uh, well, I'll answer that two ways. The first thing is it's really great to start a business with a, a best friend and it's great to start a business and have a partner while doing it, right? Kind of it takes some of the stress, some of the stress out of it. 
it's also the most critical relationship you're going to have from a partner and friendship point of view. You have to be really mindful of that. Um, and that's work. You know, I was saying to somebody recently that, you know, if you have a mentor, that's great because you can take the best things from that mentor and you can kind of discard, you know, you can discard the worst things. But with a business partner, you're getting all of it, no matter what, right? So you better be prepared for that. You can't take and, you know, you can't give and take. So there's that. And then just in terms of my relationships professionally and here at Chopped is everybody wants a sense of personal growth and everybody wants to see their work have impact, which I think Chopped is a great kind of format for that because we're working to help people live healthier, happier lives. And the way to do that is to completely remove your ego, especially if you're in a management position, um, let people have autonomy and a say in what they're doing and room for growth without it always being your agenda and taking credit for the success of the company, et cetera. You have to, this is a really collaborative atmosphere and professionally, I think that's proven out for us at Chop. People don't leave Chopped. You know, we had, you know, I think in terms of our major, you know, greater management team, there's one person who left and then they came back, you know, voluntarily after, you know, six to 12 months at another company. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what we do, you know, personally, I think, it, you know, it starts with ego people. I like to be around people who, who have less of it, less of an ego and who I can trust and enjoy a lot of the same things that I enjoy. Well, one of those be in nature. Let me ask you this. And we'll jump into rapid fire is, you know, being from New York, we talked a little bit about this, uh, at the beginning of the conversation, but where, where are some places you like to get out to? What's, what's kind of your perfect experience out in a natural setting if you can just transport yourself there i would be in the ocean kiteboarding um that is if i could to me that's that's the best and i do that a lot in long island you know there's there's great kiting kiteboarding spots out there but i i really i love the ocean and now that my son has gotten into scuba diving we got, we're, you know, we're going on scuba diving trips. So I love that. Um, but, you know, by the way, I, and then also I'd love to be in the mountains hiking and, and doing that sort of stuff. But if it had to be one place, I would be on a kiteboarding trip in the, in, uh, in the ocean. Well, let's jump, jump into some rapid fire. Starting a company, running a company this long and having so many interests, it can really just consume a lot of your life for so long. What are some things you're curious about? What are you most curious about right now outside of, outside of running your business? Mm, uh, I've, well, I, I, I kind of go to what I've been reading and, and studying. I've gotten over the past year, my meditation practice has gotten a lot more intense. I think so much, and I've learned this over the years that how do you manage the stress of being in the restaurant business for so long? And so I've had a real interest over the past seven years, I would say. And in, in, in tools to help management, into tools and to help manage it, which kind of started with this like dive into stoicism and things like that and, and has morphed more into kind of more intensive meditation. That's kind of where my head's at right now. That's awesome. I love that. So, so what would you say your proudest achievement is outside of work? Uh, well, 
I can't really consider my family an achievement. <laughs> like, but I, I feel like if they heard this and, and I didn't say that, that would be it. I would say that the thing kind of physical, I'll, I'll go to the physical, um, which was I, I really I started my Ironman quest kind of from zero. I've always been into fitness, but that meant more weightlifting and, you know, kind of boxing for fitness and things like that. And then about eight years ago, I, I, I decided, which was a dream since I was a little kid, that I was going to do an Ironman. Um, I used to watch the Kona races when I was about 14 years old. I went out and got an Ironman Timex. Timex. I was so in, so into the idea of it. And then finally, I think when I was 39, I said, you know what? I'm going to do an Ironman. And then kind of started with a half Ironman, then into, I'm sorry, a half marathon into Olympics, into halves and marathons, and finally the full distance. And I think at the end of that, I felt like I'd really put together a plan and achieve something that I had thought about for a long time and learned a tremendous amount. That's a huge goal that you did achieve. What would you say is biggest goal out there on the horizon for you that you'd like to achieve? Maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's something with work, you know, this could be anything. You know, I would really, my goal is really now that of a 15 year old boy and a 10 year old girl is to really introduce them to this stuff and this idea of nature. They both live in New York City and to, I mean, tactically, I can't push them too hard because then they will reject it. But how do I come up with a strategy to make this part of their lives? Time in nature, the appreciation for overall wellness and fitness and getting into it. So that is really, that is my goal. So, uh, you know, I, we've talked a lot about, about, uh, other hobbies and whatnot, and you, you have some hobbies, but is there anything else that you, you do that people might be surprised that you have interest in? I like to paint and draw. And about a year before COVID, I, I started to get, and I did it a bit in college and I've always had a, an interest in it. But again, life gets in the way. And I started with more intensity before COVID and then during COVID, really charcoal drawing, uh, gouache painting, and, and uh, oil painting. And, and in many ways, a lot of my interests, right, being cooking and, and, and art and other fitness stuff and studying Italian again because I'd lost so much of it and is like I'm I'm looking at the things that I will do as things kind of slow down I'm you know, slow down a little bit for me professionally at some point in the future and things I want to have facility with. So I know with Chopped we're gonna we're getting ready to uh, do some cool things with Athletic. You know it's going to be going hand in hand with a partnership here soon, and well it'll be probably in full swing by the time this comes out. What what is uh what's a brew at Athletic Brewing that you really enjoy? Do you have a favorite? This is probably the easiest uh, question of all for me. Uh, athletic Light, I've been drinking a lot of. All right. Um, I've historically drunk a ton of the, uh, these are the two I see that run wild or hazy IPA. I, again, I, I drink Athletic all the time. And when I mentioned before that part of the ethos of Chopped is this discovery for new ingredients and new things, that, that goes beyond just the salad. It also, in this case, goes to what you drink along with our food. And I've been a huge athletic fan for a long time. And so it makes me particularly excited about this, this partnership. 
you know, something that I read about you, one of your rules is, is never compromise on the quality of your product. Yeah. Uh, especially when pursuing something so different so early on, you, you have to be as close to perfect as possible set those standards so high that, that, that can't be the reason people don't, you know, don't choose you. And we had to do that as well at athletic brewing. Our motto early on was uh, brew without compromise. Well, what we realized that took was not just doing one thing with excellence. You really kind of have to start to be that kind of person and live without compromise um, to be able to do anything without compromise. What does it mean to you to live without compromise? In all things in my life, I just try to set a standard and it's, it's written down to and to adhere to that standard. And day to day over the course of many years, you know, there are a lot of decisions and you could be pulled away from that standard that you set. You know, it's, you know, it's generally, I can be more specific, but it's a a standard for excellence and integrity um, and dignity and, and not to vary and, and, and to stay on that path. So, you know, with practice, it becomes pretty easy. I'm faced with decisions all day, every day in regards to business, my family, my friends. And I just try to meet that, meet that standard. It's a hard standard to meet, but when you're meeting it, it feels pretty good. Well, there you have it, folks. You can learn more about Colin and Chopped at choppedsalad.com. And again, they've got almost 100 locations. You can find our brews at a lot of them. And I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for some lunch now. So I'm going to go. And if you want to find out more about Athletic Brewing, athleticbrewing.com, you can find where to try our innovative non-alcoholic craft brews. Happy New Year. Let's make it a good one. Happy New Year.